Hey, guys. Hey, man. How you doing? Uh, guys, I'm super excited to be here today. Um, I have this message that God has put on my heart, uh, and I'm really excited to, to share it with you. It's kind of been five years in the making, um, so it's about that time. Um, I'm really excited. Guys, uh, like Ryan said, I've been on staff for a year and a half-ish now, um, but what's even cooler is that I've been uh, going to 514 Church for five years now. Um, since my freshman year of college, I've called this place home, uh, which is really, really exciting. Um, and if you would have came up to me five years ago and said, Bryce, you're going to be on staff at a church in five years. What do you think? I would have said you're absolutely insane. Uh, I was in school pre-med to be um, a plastic surgeon is what I wanted to be. I wanted to make a lot of money and live out in Malibu and have like five boats. And now I'm realizing that that's not going to happen. Um, and that's okay because I love my job. But five years ago, if you would have come up to me and said, Bryce, like in a matter of a couple months, you're going to be a Christian let alone five years from now, I would have said you were insane. Um, and it's so crazy to see how I've gotten from where I was to where I am today. Um, and that's kind of where the heart of my message is. Um, and so I'm going to let you guys in on um, part of who I am. A lot of you guys don't know who I am. I work with students um, and groups, and that's super exciting, but that might be the extent of what you know. Um, and so I'm going to let you um, in on what I call my dysfunction, uh, my brokenness. Um, and so a couple... Way back in the day, um, I grew up in your typical Catholic family home, very Italian, very loud, uh, a lot of hand motions. So if you see me using hand motions, I get it from my mama. Um, and that's just the way it is. But uh, we grew up going to church for a while until um, elementary school. I actually got kicked out of church class uh, for asking too many questions. And the parent volunteer couldn't answer them. Um, I mean, it was like, how do I comprehend how it's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all in one, but yet separate? And the, the parent didn't like that question, so I got kicked out. Um, now it's kind of funny, but at the time I was really heartbroken. Um, and so growing up, I, I kind of just had this distaste in my mouth for God. Uh, I wasn't never super excited about this idea of God. And by the time I got to high school, I actually considered myself to be atheist. Um, almost to the point of like anti-theist, where if I heard someone mention God, that I really wanted to kind of like yell in their face and spit at them and say, you are 100% wrong. Because there's no way that there's a God based on my experiences. So when I get to high school, um, I started playing sports. Uh, well, I played before, but it's when I started really realizing that I could potentially have a future um, in sports. And so I started playing soccer, um, and it was kind of through soccer that uh, soccer became my god, um, I guess you could say. Since there was no god in my life, I needed something to fill that void. Um, and so soccer became it. And because of that, um, a lot of unhealthy habits came around, um, bad-mouthing everyone. <laughs> um, I was your quote-unquote uh, uh, jerk. Uh, who was completely full of himself in high school, that stereotypical jerk, um, the douchebag that plays sports, you know, like that was me. Like I was 100% full of myself, um, and I thought everybody else was less than me. Um, and it was actually through that that um, I really had it out for God. You see, my sophomore year, I ended up tearing my ACL playing soccer, um, which was the one thing that I held dear in my life. I didn't have a lot of friends my age. Um, I wasn't super close to my family, but I was close with this idea of soccer and what soccer could potentially do in my future. Um, and so when that was taken away from me, I immediately thought, God, I know you're not real. Because if you were real and you were loving like everyone says you are, there's no way that you would do this to me. And I fell into this deep depression um, and started having suicidal thoughts um, all the time. Uh, and it wasn't until my senior year, uh, until I tore my ACL again, makes two times, and actually recently tore it again three times. Fun fact. Um, and my senior year, I actually kind of thought it was funny, this idea of God. I was like, 
dude, uh, that just goes to show that there's no way that there could ever be a God. I mean, look at this pain that I'm in. Look at, um, look at this brokenness. And so when I get um, close to going to high school, um, some of my uh, decisions from my past started biting me in the butt, I guess you could say. Uh, since I didn't have a lot of friends, I, that I could honestly probably count in one hand how many friends I had, um, I remember someone made a Facebook hate group about me and over 300 people joined, um, saying things like, Bryce can move, we don't care, he has no friends, he has no future, we don't care about him, no one loves him, that kind of thing. Um, and there were people that I thought were my friends that joined, and so when I got to college, I said, you know what, like, I'm going to live my life a little bit differently. Obviously, what I did in high school didn't work out for me, so I'm going to make sure I make a huge shift in college. And so I decided, I made a vow to myself uh, the week before I went to college, I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes in order for people to accept me and to love me, even if that means compromising on my morals, even if that means doing things I don't want to do, even if it means drinking way too many drinks or doing way too many drugs or whatever it takes, people are going to like me. Um, and so I remember I got to college and I kind of made like this strategic plan almost, like, all right, I'm going to go about this and I'm going I'm to find out how to do this the best. And so I've quickly identified who on campus was the most important um, in the party scene. Um, I went to Otterbein and surprisingly enough, there was a bigger party scene than I expected. Uh, and so it wasn't very hard for me to find alcohol when I was underage. Um, and so to be honest, um, I honestly like really don't remember the first two weeks on campus. Um, it was during those two, uh, two weeks that I drank every day. I skipped most of my classes, um, and I quickly made a name for myself. Uh, I got referred to as B.O.B., which is Blackout Bryce. People knew me by what I did, um, and I was okay with it. I was more than okay with it. It was a badge that I wore proudly. I was proud to be known as Blackout Bryce because I got invited to parties. People wanted to hang out with me. I mean, I would go home most days, and in all honesty, I would... <laughs> wake up the next morning hugging the bowl. No, this is not a toilet. I wasn't allowed to bring a toilet up here. It's too heavy. Will Green could not carry it, uh, the stagehand. So, bowl. I uh, woke up most mornings hugging the bowl, and being sick the night before, not being able to recollect anything, and getting texts from people saying, dude, last night was awesome. You got to come out tonight. Dude, last night was awesome. We can't wait to hang out with you again. And that, to me, was all I wanted. I wanted to be wanted. Um, and it actually got to a point where I was drinking every night, um, and my nursing friends actually told me it was very unhealthy, and I was quickly going down a spiral towards um, a really bad lifestyle. Uh, what a lot of people didn't know at the time is that um, this was not the only form of brokenness in my life, the only form of dysfunction. Um, I was actually going through a lot at the time. Uh, my family decided to move from Delaware, Ohio, where I grew up, all the way to Greensboro, North Carolina which is like, I don't know, 400, 600 miles away. I'm not really, I was never really good at geography. I just know it takes four to like six hours to get there um, if I'm going really fast. Um, that's all I know. And so that was really hard for me to swallow. Um, and also at the same, like right around the same time, two of my friends passed away. One was uh, driving um, drunk and high, and she wrapped her car on a tree uh, and died on impact. Um, and another friend of mine committed suicide because he was getting bullied. And so all of this kind of started piling on and on and on, and the only relief that I could find was at the bottom of a bottle uh, by drinking every night. And I remember in the middle of this, it was like January-ish, and uh, I felt like, man, I'm at my end. There's nothing beyond this moment of brokenness, brokenness for me. There's nothing beyond this moment of dysfunction. My, like, if this is what I'm living for, then why am I living? Um, and I had a friend of mine uh, reach out to me, um, and he said, hey, man, I don't know what you're doing Saturday, but I'd love to hang out. And 
I said, well, dude, I'm going to be at this party. You should totally come. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Um, and he's like, no, no, no I'm, I'm okay. But if you want to hang out after, let me know. Give me a call. I'll pick you up. We'll go to my house. Um, and so I went to the party, got very drunk, um, and I called him. I was like, hey, man, you want to hang out? Let's hang out. Um, and so he picked me up. Um, he lived in New Albany, uh, and I, went, I was in Westerville at the time, and um, I also was very drunk and did not have a car, so there was no way that I could drive myself, literally. Uh, and so he came, picked me up, and we went to his house. And I don't remember much of what happened, to be honest. I was so drunk, and the next morning I woke up completely hungover, um, horrible headache, sensitive to the light, wanted nothing to do with anything. All I wanted was canes. That's all I wanted. I remember was canes, and I was like super like just depressed. And I remember my friend saying, he's like, hey, man, um, listen, if you want to ride back to campus, you've got to go to church with me first. And I remember thinking, man, how did I get duped into this? Church was the last place I wanted to be. Church was the place I felt like if I went, I would 100% be judged. At least on campus, I wasn't judged as much. Um, and so I, I, started, I looked up maps, and I looked to see how long of a walk it would be back to campus. And I didn't feel like walking 45 minutes to an hour in the middle of January so I reluctantly went to church. Um, at the time, it was called New Albany Church, um, which was 514 before the name change. Um, and I came in super, super reluctant to do anything, to participate in anything, to sing, to meet anyone. I, I came in with my hands in my pockets and my head down. Um, and we sat through the worship, and I just kept thinking, man, this sucks. Like, this is not good. This is not my, like, my flavor of music. This is not the stuff I listen to. What is this? And I remember a guy gets on stage after, and I just immediately become really judgmental, right? I'm like, man, who is this guy who looks like he's 25, like he just hopped out of a, a tanning bed, and his hair is spiked up, and he's wearing flip-flops in January. Like, this guy looks like he could be an Abercrombie model. Like, is he just opening or something? Where's the pastor? Isn't the pastor supposed to be this old guy um, who looks like a sage and is very wise, whatever? And sure enough, Joel started preaching. Um, and I was really taken aback. I actually remembered laughing. Um, I was like, all right, whatever, well, I'm here, so I might as well listen. Um, and it was in that moment that I had heard the gospel for the first time, that it, where it actually made sense. I remember hearing that God made everything and it was perfect, and then sin entered the world and everything broke, and in order to fix this relationship between us and Jesus, um, between us and God, that someone had to die. Um, and so God, in the form of Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, uh, he died for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him now and forever. And I remember hearing that in the context of what Joel was talking about. Uh, he was talking about having gospel-centered uh, friendships and relationships in our lives, something that I didn't have, um, but something that I desperately wanted. Um, most of my friendships were built on alcohol and partying, and I just wanted something real in my life. And so I made the decision that day. I was like, man, God, I, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like I need this. And so I, I prayed a prayer that day to, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as much as I'd like to say that my life like, drastically changed after that, it didn't. I remember going home, um, and my life actually slipped worse, like farther into this depression, um, into an abusive relationship with alcohol, um, except there was a small difference. Um, I felt guilty this time. The more I drank, the more I felt, man, I shouldn't be doing this, but I feel like I need to. And so after parties, I actually found myself going on four-mile walks at three in the morning from campus down State Street past 270 to some really kind of sketchy areas. Um, and the entire time, I was having a screaming match with God. I said, God, 
I'm broken. God, you say that I'm broken and that I need to have a relationship with you, that I'm no longer, that in my mind when I thought I was perfect, I'm actually not. That God, because of things that I've done, I'm broken, and the more that I learned about God, listen, the more that I learned about God, the more I felt like I was too far gone to be loved by God. I felt like because of my sin, because of the things that have been going on in my life, that there's no way that God could ever love me. I heard all the time that God, God knew everything about me, but I didn't believe that. I was like, God, if I were you and I knew what I had done, God, you would never want to use me. You would never want to love me. You would never want to enter into this relationship with me. I felt like my, dis- my dysfunction, my brokenness disqualified me from being used by God. I kept hearing about how God had this awesome plan for the world and for my life and for everyone's lives and that we can all play a part in it. But I was like, God, you say you know me, but I feel like if you really did, you would not want to use someone like me. I felt like I just entered into a relationship with someone and like the next step was for them to move in. And I don't know if you've ever been to my house, but I'm sorry, it's disgusting. My house is actually visibly uh, disgusting. It actually smells, but it's home, you know? Um, there's like four of us guys that live there mid-20s. It is what it is. It's like a frat house almost. It just smells. It's so gross. You open the fridge and it reeks. And I feel like God was telling me, he's like, dude, it's time for me to move in. It's time for me to actually come and meet you where you're at and for us to do life together. And I was like, okay, God. And I opened the door and let him in and you see dirty laundry in the corner and cups that are like two weeks old sitting out. Um, my comforter on the couch because that's where I slept for like three weeks because why not? Um, and like my house was disgusting. I feel like God came in and was like, ooh, I didn't know about all of this. I didn't know you had all this dirty laundry. I didn't know you had all of these problems, all of this brokenness. Like I know I said I died for that, but like, ooh, I didn't know about that. I can't use that. And so I felt like because of what I had done, because of my brokenness, I was disqualified from ever being loved by God, from ever being used by God. It doesn't mean I didn't want to be used by God. The more I heard about the, at church and, and the more I read about in my Bible that God had this awesome plan, the more I wanted it. Because before Jesus, I was living for nothing and I was contemplating suicide. But now that I have Jesus, I felt like there could be a, a new life for me, that there was potential but the more I learned about my dysfunction, the more I felt disqualified. I mean, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, when Joel was like, hey, dude, we got an opening if you want to speak, I was like, oh, okay. I was terrified. And my immediate thought was, mm, dude, if you really knew what I had been through, if you knew my past, if you knew the stuff I deal with now, the stuff I dealt with then, if you knew the extent of my brokenness, if you, do, if you knew the state of dysfunction that I've been living in, dude, You'd want to find someone else to speak. I'm not qualified enough. I am disqualified from ever being used. On a stage, out in the real world, talking to people, there is no way that I feel like I am qualified enough to be used by God because of my dysfunction. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to. And I think the same goes with a lot of us. I think most of us actually want to be used by God. A study came out recently that was published and then republished in uh, Forbes um, magazine that said 90% of millennials... 90% of those that were born between, I believe it's 1980 through uh, 2000-ish. So essentially, if you look at it, it's like Joel through the high schoolers right now. Joel likes to admit that he's a millennial. He wants wants everyone to know that he's young enough to be considered a millennial. Cutting edge, front line of it. Still old, right? (laughs) He he wants everyone to know that he's a millennial. But everyone that considers themselves a, a millennial, so whether you're 36 or 16 right now, 
There, 90% of you, uh, of us, believe that there's something more for us, that we, our lives can mean something, that we can be used for something bigger than our, ourselves. And as we're Christians, and, uh, we feel like our lives are meant to be something greater than what we're living. Like we could be used for something so much bigger than ourselves. Um, and whether or not you're a millennial, I, I believe that this is true for most of us, that most of us can identify with the statement that we want our lives to mean something more. We want to be used by God. But something often gets in the way. Something gets in the way between us living this life that God has for us and being used by God. And it's not that there's a lack of desire. We want to be used by God. The desire is there. The want is there. But there's a belief problem. You see, we believe that we are too far gone, too broken, too dysfunctional to ever be used by God, that God looks at our dysfunction and turns his head. And he says, mm, you're disqualified. I need someone that is way more qualified than that. I mean, come on. It's like God is saying that there's a race to be run to chase after people's hearts. There are more people that need to know about Jesus and this love that Jesus has for them. And if it's a race, wouldn't you want like a Usain Bolt or someone who's incredibly athletic or someone um, who's very, has like tons of endurance, someone that can actually run a race, not someone like me who's torn his ACL three times, not someone who has to walk with a crutch, not someone who is dysfunctional. You want the best. And we live in a society today that says only the best can make a difference. I mean, if you look at the people who are actually influencing our youth, influencing culture today, it's the celebrities, it's the musicians, the rock stars, uh, the political figures, it's these people that try to look like they have it all together. Only the best can be used. Society says only the most beautiful can have influence. Only those that are well-liked, only those that are most popular, only the most powerful, the most elite, the most beautiful, the best, they are the ones that can have influence. And we kind of take this lens that society begins to look at us through, and we kind of shift it over to the way that God looks at us, and we think that since society sees us that way, that God sees us that way. And so we start to think that only the best can be used by God. I'm too broken. I'm too dysfunctional. God, I just have these broken pieces. You don't want to use me. You want to use the best. You want to use the most broken. And if you're here today, and you believe that, or if you're here today, and you just got off of a weekend of heavy drinking, if you got off of a weekend of doing those drugs or doing that one thing that you promised you would never do again or you, you, were, you fell into this pattern of sin again this weekend or you're hung over today, man, I am so happy you are here. You will not be judged here and you belong here. And I believe that there's a truth today that we're gonna talk about um, that is so like, foundational in the Bible that we often overlook it because we are so concerned with the way that society sees us and the way that we see ourselves that we don't stop to think, what does God really think about me? How does God really see me? And so this, actually, the, this truth happens all throughout the Bible. The way that God sees us is actually something that is totally countercultural, that is something totally revolutionary, that it can change the way that you view yourself, that you view God, and that you view the way that God uses brokenness. Um, and it's found all throughout the Bible. There's story upon story upon story of broken people and what God does through their lives. But for the sake of time, I don't want to keep you here for 45, 50 minutes, <clears throat> Joel. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about one. Just one story. And I'm not like crazy, like versed in theology. I don't know tons about the Bible. I didn't go to school for this like some other people did. And so I'm gonna give you one lens to view, to view this story. When I read this as a broken guy, and this is what I saw. This is how I saw God use a broken person. And so we're gonna actually dive into Acts 3, 1 through 10. Um, and in this story, um, we are picking up shortly after uh, Jesus um, died, 
was resurrected and ascended into heaven, and he gave marching orders to his closest followers. He said, hey guys, there's a race to be run. I need you to go tell people the good news. I need you to go tell people the gospel about how much I love them and how they can have a relationship with me now and for forever. And so at the beginning of this scene, we see Peter and John kind of moseying uh, to the temple at the hour of prayer. It says this, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So Peter and John are kind of moseying in, just minding their own business. I mean, it's the hour of prayer. They're going to pray, I'd imagine. And so as they're walking up, uh, there's something else that kind of catches their eye in the corner. There's actually a man being carried to the temple. He wasn't there already. He was being carried, and so they saw him coming And let's just like camp on this idea of this broken man for a minute. And as a man who was lame from birth, Scripture actually says that he was probably in his mid-40s. Like, can you imagine what it must have been like to have been lame since day one? Since the day you were born, you were never able to walk. There's something wrong with your ankles, there's something wrong with your feet, something wrong with your legs that prevents you from being able to walk. Man, this guy is so broken. I mean, think about it. Think about your daily routine. What do you do in the morning? You wake up, you get out of bed, brush your teeth, I hope, floss. I think that's still relevant. The jury's still out. I hate flossing. Brush your teeth, all that fun stuff. Wash your face, take a shower, do whatever you need to do, get dressed, um, have breakfast, or if you're like me, don't have breakfast because you wake up too late. Uh, You go to work, spend time at work, leave work, go hang out with friends, hang out with your families, whatever. Think about your daily routine. I'll put it into the lens of this guy. You can't do any of that anymore on your own. You are so broken. You are so dysfunctional that you have to be waited on all day. That someone has to come and get you out of bed. Someone has to come and help you brush your teeth and and wash your face. And someone has to come and help you bathe or shower. And someone has to come and take you to work. And someone has to come and pick you up from work and take you back home. And then someone has to come and make you dinner. Someone has to take care of you all the time. I mean, if anyone is dysfunctional, it's this guy. This guy is so dysfunctional, so broken that he can't even take care of himself. On the social like, ladder of influence, he is way at the bottom. In the context of his life, he was lame. He wasn't able to walk. He was broken and dysfunctional. And to be honest, I doubt he saw any way out of it. He's like, well, this is where I'm at. This is the, the hand I've been uh, dealt I have to deal with this the rest of my life. I have these broken pieces, but because of the the context of my life, this is as good as it gets. And so the story goes on, and it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So as Peter and John are like about to like go into the temple, this broken man, he gets their attention. He's like, hey, you too. As you can see, I'm broken. I'm very dysfunctional. Um, I can't walk. I can't take care of myself. So could you spare a little bit of money? I think money would probably help my situation just a little bit. It's not going to completely change my life, but it'll help the way I'm living right now. It'll help make the context of my life a little bit better. And it says, Peter looks straight at him. Um, And if you've never met my mom, man, she likes to stare at people. 
she's great, and I love it. But the only time, like when I read this and I see Peter look straight at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. I mean, I read that, and I think of the stare that my mom used to give me whenever I got in trouble, which is like every day growing up. Like those mean, like stank eyes, like, that, like you look at and you're so captivated yet afraid and you can't turn away. I feel like that's what's happening here. And, and, and man, if you knew my mom, she's very, she's very Italian, very short, very outspoken. I mean, and so when I read this, it says that Peter said, look at us. It wasn't just like a, hey, like look at me. It was, hey, look at us. And I'm like, oh, okay. One of two things are gonna happen now. They're going to give me money, which would be nice. <laughs> or they're going to kill me, right? Like, I'm in trouble. Like, it's going to be one of these. Like, they have my attention. Something's going to happen here. And the story goes on. It says, then Peter said, and this is, this is so exciting. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So Peter's like, hey, dude, listen. It might look like we have money, but like, let me be honest. Um, you see, we work in full-time ministry. We don't make a lot of money. Um, so I, don't, I, can't give you, I can't give you what you want. I can't give you what you're asking for. I know you think money's going to help, but honestly, it's not. But what I do have, I can give to you, and that is Jesus. And it is in this moment where God meets this broken man right in the middle of his mess and works in him. He meets him right where he's at, in the middle of his brokenness, in the middle of his dysfunction, in the middle of his broken pieces, and says, I can fix that. It says, instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Instantly, he was healed, both physically and actually, uh, it alludes to being healed spiritually. That not only was this man healed physically in a physical sense where he's able to get up and his feet and ankles became strong, that he was actually saved spiritually in this moment. And that his position literally changed from laying down to standing up and also spiritually from death to life. This man's life was forever changed. Peter and John John didn't just make the context of his life better. They didn't just make his brokenness and dysfunction a little bit more bearable. They actually gave him a brand new context to live in. And the story goes on. And this is like, uh, when I read this for the first time, I like geeked out. I geek out uh, over really random things. And this is one of the things I really geeked out over. It says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man, the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And he's going through walking, jumping, and praising God. Just set the scene a little bit. Imagine this. So I work at, uh, one of the things I do is boom. Um, and middle schoolers are awesome. And like it, boom is controlled chaos. That's probably the best way to put it. It's controlled chaos. If you've never met a seventh grade boy, I imagine like how awesome that must be for you. Like, I love, I love seventh graders, don't get me wrong. I sit in on a seventh grade small group and they're really awesome, but man, they are so crazy. They have so much energy and then we give them Oreos and candy and we get them into small groups and playing crazy games. We get them on stage. And so by the time we're done with them, man, they're crazier. And in the scene, as this lame man like barges through the temple, the temple gates, I just imagine, imagine a seventh grader at Boom and the way that they run in through our doors. So, like, hey guys, I'm here. Look, look who it is. It's the lame beggar. It's the guy that's been sitting outside. And he starts dancing and singing and jumping and walking and praising God. He starts going through. And, and what's so crazy is that people actually begin to recognize him. 
It wasn't, they were not like, who is this guy? I mean, I, I do imagine Peter and John are probably there like with their collars like up hiding, like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Like, what, what? Dude, chill, you're gonna get us kicked out. We're here to do something, please stop. And this guy's like running through, dancing, praising God, and they recognized him. Like, hey, weren't you, weren't you that guy that like has been sitting outside for like the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years begging people for money? Wasn't that you? That broken, dysfunctional man? He's like, yep, that's me. As you can see, something's happened, and that's God. God healed me spiritually and physically, and now I'm able to do this. Look what God has done in my life. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. They were so taken aback because of the life change that they visibly saw. A visible representation of what happened um, inside of him. That something had drastically changed and they noticed it. And what the scripture actually goes on to say, um, that it created a crowd, that these people were drawn to him. And that Peter used this moment to preach the gospel. That this broken man, this dysfunctional man, set up a moment for Peter to preach the gospel message of hope and love to these people. I mean, man, come on. Like, God is in the business of using broken people. God is in the business of using broken people. Look at how he used one broken, lame, dysfunctional beggar who was stuck in the context of his life, who was stuck in the context of his brokenness and dysfunction. Look how God met him where he was at, worked in him, and then worked through him to create a crowd for people to hear about God. I mean, man, that's so amazing. But when I read this, God is in the business of using broken people. If you're anything like me, you start to ask questions. Like, this sounds so good to be true. And like, Bryce, like, I see this example, but like, this doesn't make sense because society says that this is not true. Society says that God is in the business of using the best people, that God is in the business of using the most beautiful people. And here's what's so interesting is that through my personal experience, I don't think I've ever read a more true statement. God is in the business of using broken people. Why? Because in the moments of my life when I have felt like I was the best, when I have felt like I was the most beautiful or the most influential or the most powerful, in those moments when I felt like I could do it on my own when I was the best, I said, hey, attention's on me. Look what I can do. But in those moments when I realize how broken I really am, that when I take these pieces, I'm like, man, oh, I'm so broken. I'm so dysfunctional. And it's in those moments when, when God uses the broken man and when the attention is no longer look what I can do, it's look what God can do. It's look at where I was and look at where I am now and that missing piece in between that you can't really see, that's God. God changed my position from death to life. God changed my position from brokenness to where I am now. God changed my position from lame to being able to walk and dance and praise God. God is in the business of using broken people. And so we, as a, uh, um, in our student ministry for high school, we go to high school camp every year. Ooh, ooh, it's so exciting. So exciting. It's also like one of the most chaotic weeks of my life um, and stressful. It's great. I love it. No sleep. Um, and one of the speakers we listen to, uh, his name is John Acuff. Uh, John Acuff is really awesome, um, super outspoken, well-spoken. Um, he writes a blog, and in one of his blog posts, he says this. He, God, has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble. God has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of our dysfunction. God has a curious habit of showing up in the midst of trouble, not the absence. Where the world sees failure, where the world sees failure, where society says you are too far gone, you are too broken, 
you are too dysfunctional. Where the world sees failure, God sees future. When we feel like we're disqualified, sometimes that's when we're the most qualified to reach people. Where the world sees failure, God sees future. And the next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this. He, God, tends to recruit from the pit, not the pedestal. God's not looking for the best. He's not looking for the guy that can do it on their own. He's looking for the guy or the girl that says, God, I need you, and I can't do this without you. The person that takes their brokenness to God and says, can you do something with this? And so we all have an opportunity today to do something crazy. It's simple, but yet at the same time, it's really hard. And this is something that you can decide to do today, something you, can digest, you need to decide to do every day of your life. You have to give God your brokenness. You have to give God your brokenness. God isn't going to barge into your heart and just take it. He's there patiently waiting, knocking, saying, hey, can you let me in? Because I want to meet you in your brokenness, and I want to make your brokenness beautiful. And it's through your brokenness that I'm going to reach a broken world. You have to take your brokenness to God. When I was in high school, I took AP Art History, um, not because I really wanted to, but because I needed one more AP class for something or other. And to be honest, this class really uh, was not my favorite. I hardly went. I cut class a lot. But I do remember one bit um, from our Japanese art history uh, track. Um, and it's this idea of kintsugi. In the Western world, uh, in America, when we have, if we have our favorite bowl, our favorite plate, or our favorite mug, and we drop it and we break it, and we have all these broken pieces, our instinct is, well, it's useless. We got we to gotta toss it. Things that are broken in the Western world have no use. And that's the way that uh, society has imposed on us. And that's what we believe. But this is so, so, so awesome. Um, because I, I truly believe that that's not the way that it necessarily has to be. In the Japanese art culture, there's this idea of kintsugi. And what happens is that uh, potters will take the broken pieces of something and will put them back together. And it ends up looking something like this. They take this golden joinery and they put the pieces back together and the final product is something that is more beautiful than the original. It is something that has been repurposed and every piece of pottery shows a story of redemption. And that's why God uses broken people. Because each and every one of us has a story of redemption. It's not a story that says, look at me and look, what, look at me, look at what I can do. It's a story that says, look what God can do through a broken person like me. And it is through the cracks in your brokenness that God is really going to shine. It is through the cracks in your pottery that God's goldness and joy and love is truly going to shine and influence other people. Each and every one of us has a story to tell. Our scars can tell a story. It's a comeback story. It's a redemption story. A story that says, look what God can do. I've come this far because God loves me. But, but, you have to get out of the way first. You see, a lot of us, I, I, I really believe that there's someone here that needs to hear this today. We dwell in the past. We think our dysfunction and our brokenness in the past defines who we are today and defines our utility to God. But let me just tell you, if, if you get anything from this story, if you get anything, I mean, seriously, this broken guy, he had an option. This lame beggar had an opportunity. He could have stayed on the ground after he was healed I just stayed there, like, man, this is where I've been my entire life. I'm just going to live in this. I'm going to dwell in the past. Or 
you can do something else. You can live in your past or you can do what this broken guy did. After God healed him, he went out and started walking, dancing, and praising God. He said, look what God did in my life. Your past isn't meant to be a place of residence. It's meant to be a place of reference, of saying, look what God did in my life, and I know he can do the same thing in your life. And what's really cool is the scripture goes on um, to say what actually really happens here. It says this in Acts 4.4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And this also doesn't say anything about any potential women or children. Because of this one broken man, because of this man who was so deep and, and, and drowning in his dysfunction, who felt like there's no way he could ever make a difference in the world, it was actually through him that God brought all these people together so Peter could preach a message and so thousands of people's lives could be changed. Through this one broken man, thousands of people were saved. And as we leave today, I, I promise I'm wrapping up. Um, just imagine... Imagine what could happen if you came to God in humility and said, God, this is all I've got. All I have are these broken pieces. Here I am. Here is everything that is, that is me. Here's everything that is Bryce. My good, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, my past, my present, my future, my sin struggle, my addiction, this abusive relationship, this drug abuse. Here's everything that I am. Here are all my broken pieces. Can you do something with this? Because God, I can't. And it's in that moment we feel like God is like waiting and he turns away. We feel like God doesn't want to see it and that's the farthest thing from the truth. When we take our broken pieces to God and say, God, I can't do this anymore on my own. I need you. I'm broken. I'm dysfunctional. God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. God is in the business of using broken people. And so if you're here today and you just feel like, man, I am too far gone. I am at my end. I am so far deep in this struggle. I am so far deep in my dysfunction and my brokenness that there's no way that I could ever be used by God. There's no way that, I mean, if I was God, I wouldn't even want to use someone like me. If you're there today, if that's you, there's hope. There's a moment beyond your brokenness. There's a moment behind, uh, beyond your dysfunction. And who knows the lives that could be influenced because of you getting out of the way and you saying, God, here I am, and letting God shine through your brokenness. But you have to give him that brokenness First. You never know what could happen. Five years ago, if you would have said I would have been right where I am today, I would have been dumbfounded, and I probably would have laughed at you. But now I have the opportunity to reach students, to help people get into small groups where lives can be changed. And man, don't get me wrong, I am as broken as they are. If you knew the stuff that I've gone through uh, that we didn't talk about today, the stuff that I deal with, man, I am totally disqualified to be doing what I'm doing right now. I am totally disqualified. But I know that it's through my brokenness that God is going to reach a broken world. And he can do the same thing with you guys. So I'm going to pray. Uh, and then Ryan's going to come back up here. Hey, God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Thank you for everything you're going to continue to do in our lives, God. God, I pray that uh, day in and day out, starting today, we can give you our brokenness, God. That we can, we can come to you humbly. We can come to uh, to your feet and say, God, here I am. Here's all of me. Please take it and do something with this, God. God, we love you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.